Well, this morning as we um, start in our study of Matthew, I think it's just important to just recognize a couple of things. One, <clears throat> that Jesus' innocence is highlighted here. And the second would be that you see him silent. So throughout this trial, I think those two things are really critical. And this morning, I'm going to introduce this a little bit different than normal. I'm going to help you kind of walk through and think through what's taking place. But again, you're just thinking over the last two weeks as we or really three weeks as we've thought about Jesus trial uh, and then some of the things surrounding that. The primary thing I think you see is Jesus innocence and his silence. So I think it's important that you ask that question. What does it mean for him to be innocent or why is that important? One of the things you have to say is when we look at ourselves, if you spend enough time thinking about yourself and thinking about your standing before God, or even if you were basically somehow there was recorded in all of your, the history of your life, all your thoughts, all of your actions, everything that you'd said, everything that you'd done, and then you had to stand before uh, the Lord or even before a judge and you stood before them, you would not say that you were not guilty. You would say, I'm not innocent, I am guilty. But here we see Jesus is innocent. Now, why is that important? Why do you think that would be important this morning? You say, well, we're looking at Jesus' trial. Why is that important? One of the things that we have to say when we see that, when you get that, when you stop for a moment and say, Jesus' innocence, is it important to me? Well, one of the reasons that it is is because you are guilty. And if you were to stand before God and pronounce guilty, you would receive the judgment of God. He would pour out His wrath upon you. Jesus' innocence allows us to be innocent also so that we might stand before God innocent. That His righteous life, His perfection would be applied to us. That is extremely critical for us. He is without any blemish. Not only that, it, would only, it took a perfect sacrifice to go before, to the cross and to, to, to deal with our sin. Jesus had to be perfect. He had to be innocent. He had to be without blemish. So both of those things, both His innocence in being able to be uh, the, the, the sacrifice for us and also for Him to be able to give us His righteousness, all of those are extremely important for you and me. Now, the other thing I said was that Jesus is silent. Why is that important? Like this morning, you think, well, why is Jesus so silent? Why is He quiet in the midst of all of the things that are going on? What does that reveal to us? Well, one, we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, He falls down on His face and He cries out, uh, Father, if it's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. You see Jesus obedient to the Father. He had resolved to go to the cross and to endure all of these things for us. He is a willing sacrifice for us. That's extremely important also. Sometimes in my life, I've thought, how could the Lord forgive me? I am way sinful. I'm like, you can't, the things that I think, if people were to see it, they wouldn't be here this morning listening to me speak because they know really deep in my heart is all kinds of sin. And I know that. My wife knows that. She could lay out things. She could say, boy, that cat, you know, like he does this. That, yeah. She knows that. But in this, I see Jesus as a willing sacrifice in spite of my sin. And you say, well, Jared, maybe you haven't sinned as much as that guy. But you don't understand. Our sin is so deeply entrenched. It's so messed up in our heart that we need to know that Jesus is the one who silently endures the difficulty for us. He chose that. 
He's not stepping up. Jesus had the ability to stand up as a great attorney, in a sense, and defend his case. He'd been doing it all throughout his life as the men begin to come after him. Jesus would answer and just make them, honestly, he ends up silencing all of his critics by his innocence and by his ability to clearly articulate those things. But here, he's laying down his life. Now, the other thing we see this morning, so we want to emphasize Jesus. This is really a story about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus, not about just all the other characters. It's primarily about him. But we see three different characters here this morning. You just kind of you note this. We have religious leaders. We have Pilate. We have the crowd. And all of these people have their reason for not really responding rightly to Jesus. So just kind of note this. One, you see with the religious leaders, their envy. They hate Jesus' place. Jesus has been really popular in this moment, and they don't like that. They want to silence Jesus, and so they're driven by envy. Pilate seems like he wants to just kind of cast Jesus aside and get this, this whole problem away from him, but at the, in the end, he responds wrongly to Jesus for popularity reasons. He wants to stay in his place and in his place of leadership and authority. And the last one, I think you see the crowds, and you know people like this, they're sometimes really like all charged up saying, oh, Jesus, he's the one, he's the one. And the next moment they're screaming out, crucify him, crucify him. And you're going, what do they do? And there's both sides of here. They're really a fickle people. They're a foolish people. They're listening to the wrong people. And you see this throughout life. You might see yourself in one of these people and ask many of those questions. Now, this morning you're going to have to ask, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus who gave His life for us? Are you rightly responding to Him? Are you giving Him the worship that He deserves? Are you allowing Him to have rule over you? Do you envy His place and do you want to kind of almost build like this place where you can say, I'm the authority of my life. I rule my life. Or are you one who really is, you're afraid sometimes if I really walk with Jesus, popularity is going to begin to kind of go away. I'm going to kind of fall away. All of those things might be going on in your mind this morning, or maybe, and I've, I've noticed this a lot too with like people that were in high school, I used to work with high school, high school students, and often like they want to be so popular that they'll kind of abandon Christ in that moment, saying, I'm going to kind of be at a place of a, you know, in a place where everyone likes me, maybe like Pilate. All of these things come to our mind as we think through this this morning. And I, and I think all of us need to see, again, our only hope is that the innocent Son of God would willingly lay down His life and that we might cherish that and walk in obedience as a result of the grace that He's given to us. So we're going to get started this morning. Go to Matthew 27 as we do. We're going to look into in this passage and as, as we get started in that, again, kind of a longer introduction this morning, I want you to see something that's taking place in this text. And, and really, what's going to happen is you're going to see Pilate constantly trying to get rid of Jesus, trying to pass Him off in some different way. He didn't really love the Jews. He didn't really want to grant their request. He, there's a sense in which Pilate's kind of secret here. He's, he's secretly kind of um, scared of them in some ways. You see Him in this moment also. Um, there's kind of like for Pilate this morning, just to get in your mind, he wants justice to be served in a sense. He keeps saying Jesus is innocent. But he doesn't want to to the point where it might cost him personally. All of this is going on kind of in this text as we, we unpack it. Now, another thing just to throw out to you this morning. Now, here's what's happening in this text. Jesus has come before Pilate. 
And, and really, when the, the religious leaders lead Jesus up before Pilate, who's a Gentile leader, and he is the only one that really could condemn somebody to death, so the, he brings him up, and Pilate looks at the situation. It's early in the morning, and he says, y'all go do with him whatever you want. Well, they know that they can't do this, and so they keep coming back to him, and this is what they do. They say, look, Pilate, you don't understand about Jesus. He's more than somebody that we just want to condemn to death. Just a couple of things. They say he perverts the nation. He forbids us to pay tribute to Caesar. He claims that he himself is king. All of these things are going on. They're almost building a case against Jesus and they're setting this up. Again, we don't see this all in Matthew, but I want you to get the picture. They're coming up with this crazy stuff to try to make Jesus look like a revolutionary just to help you kind of think through. They think like they want him to say, look, Pilate, he's a rebel. He's going to try to take up. He's stirring up the whole nation. He's going to try to take Rome's place. You've got to crush him. All of that is kind of taking place as, as Pilate is seeing this. Now, here's what they say. They say, Pilate, he's from Galilee, and all these Galileans are all stirred up and ready to follow after him. So Pilate, in that moment, this is again, not in our text this morning, but Pilate in that moment sends Jesus off, and he sends him over, and he says, look, I'm going to send him to Herod Antipas, which the guy that would be in charge, he was in Jerusalem at the time, and he sends Jesus over to him because he thought, I'll get rid of this whole situation. Well, Herod kind of plays with Jesus and asks Jesus a few questions. And then he puts a purple robe on Jesus and sends him back, walking up to Pilate, almost looking like a king, like a mock king. He's kind of made fun of him. And so Pilate now again has to address this situation. So this is what he does. He thinks, I'll just kind of, I'll um, give Jesus a good beating and then I'll send him away. Well, in that moment, they again are like, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to kill him. And so they keep pressing him. And so in this moment, Pilate stops for a second. His wife sends a messenger up and says, leave Jesus alone. So Pilate's sitting there kind of going through all of this. And all along, these religious leaders get in the crowd and they start stirring them up and say, don't you want like, don't you want Jesus to be condemned? So Pilate comes up, he hands up two people, Barabbas and he puts up Jesus, and he says, which one will you choose? They take Barabbas, this, this guy that was really had been in so much trouble, he had been against the Roman government. They say, we want Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. So that's kind of what's taking place. I give you the whole setting because we're about to plow through. Matthew doesn't pick it all up. It helps us understand it a little better. So let's start in verse 11. Jesus kind of questioned here before Pilate. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. You notice in that text, and you could mark this, he gave no answer. Again, seeing Jesus' silence, you can highlight that in verse 12. You could highlight that in verse 14. You see this in this moment. Jesus is silent when they're accusing Him. They're going after Him and they're seeking kind of to, to condemn Him by all kinds of crazy things. Again, Jesus could, He was so wise, He really had silenced them before. He could stand up and say anything in any moment. He had infinite wisdom. They were no kind of, there's no way that they could stand before Jesus in this moment. It's interesting. We even saw that in the garden. Remember when Peter draws out the sword and he's going to cut the he cuts the ear off of that servant 
And he does that, and Jesus stops him. And Jesus says, Peter, don't you know I could call down 72,000 angels in a moment to, to crush this whole thing? And this thing, I think we see again, Jesus silenced his desire to go to the cross. He had chosen to drink the cup. He had chosen to go this way. This is his time of humiliation. This is the, Jesus' time to offer up himself. Pilate can't believe it. Pilate's looking at him thinking, what is he doing? He had probably heard he's a great orator and he, he's able to do all these things. They envy him because he has such a power and authority and here he is standing there silent. Have you ever been accused? Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? I mean, maybe I remember growing up as a kid, you know, sometimes you think my brother or somebody's kind of accusing me of this or accusing me of that. And man, you're ready to put up a fight. You know, you're ready to go after them. And you're saying to everybody, you don't understand. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I didn't accomplish this. It's almost like in that moment, Pilate's saying everybody stands up for themselves. Nobody would sit there and have all these false accusations coming. It's even almost like Pilate saying, just give me a reason. Just say one thing. Like, come on, Jesus, just say one thing. Combat this situation. Tell me why I shouldn't do this. It reminds me of, of, of movies where you say, people say, give me one reason to stay. It's kind of like, he's saying, give me one reason to let you go. Say something. Do something. Stand up for yourself. But listen to the Scripture from Isaiah. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before, before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. These people had envied him because of his authority and now he is sitting there completely silent. He is going to be slaughtered before them unjustly. And he is silent in that moment. He is willingly going to the cross. Sometimes people talk about Jesus and they'll say, you know, Jesus is this to me and Jesus is that to me. Maybe Jesus is the shoulder that I cry on or Jesus does this or Jesus does that. And often I think we could miss what, what Jesus is not really just, and I've even heard people use kind of like a Jesus statements that mean Jesus wants me to have this and Jesus wants me to have this house. And Jesus wants me to have this car. and Jesus wants me to win this tournament. All those different things, but at the very heart of what's taking place is Jesus came to save His people from their sins. That is what you see in this moment. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think like when you in your own heart, like when you and I sit there on a daily basis and we think, Lord, are You really going to forgive me of that sin? Like sometimes when you're silent before the Lord, I mean, maybe you never are, but if you have been and you think about your life and you keep asking that question, Jesus, would you be willing to do that for me? Jesus, could you do that for me? Could you really save me? Do you really know how horrific my sin is? You've got to go back to that. There's an element to where we preach the Gospel to ourselves every day. We go back and back and back. You go back to this story. This is not something just we're passing through Matthew. It's something I keep going back to. Jesus willingly laid down His life. It was for the Father's good pleasure that He had called the Son to lay down His life for us. We have to believe that truth. 
that He really wanted to bring forgiveness of sin. He really was one who silently went as a, as a lamb to slaughter. He knew He was going to die. And He did it for the joy set before Him. He endured the cross. He experienced the wrath of God for us. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That is, that is something I need to hear. That is something you need to hear. You need to know your sin is great, but Jesus willingly, as the perfect Son of God, came and died for us. We need to hear that. What does that do for us? One of the things that it does is it gives us confidence before the Lord. It gives us confidence that He really has rescued us. It gives us confidence that we can be forgiven. It rids us of guilt. We know the guilt has been placed on the Son. He took that for us. It's extremely important. It's also an example. If you've ever read, and we mentioned this I think a couple of weeks ago, if you've ever read 1 Peter, you know that Peter sets this amazing picture of Jesus as the spotless Lamb of God, His blood that has cleansed us from all our sin. And then what he does is, do you see? he'll say, do you see Jesus innocently? He's an innocent, like sacrificial lamb. He's silent before them. Do you see how he, he endures difficulty? Do you see how he, he humbles himself? And Peter will say, follow in that example. He uses the example of having like a, a really, a, like almost like a government that's really horrific. And he says, look, Jesus laid down his life, even in the face of a great, difficult government, even in an unjust government. You see him also say, like a, a wife that might be married to a horrible husband, he says, you submit to him as you would to the Lord. Follow Jesus' example. You endure the cross, and not in the sense of that you're going to be saved by it, but you're laying down your life. You're humbling yourself. You're silently enduring the difficulty for the glory of God. All of those things we see throughout the Scripture, and all of us know that struggle. Alright, turn to verse 15. As we're looking at verse 15, it says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So Pilate's already kind of sent, tried to send him away and Jesus has now come back before Pilate. And this is kind of this last-ditch effort. It's kind of, with Barabbas, you just have to understand, the Scripture says that he was a thief and that he was a murderer and he was an insurrectionist. All those things, if you read the different Gospels, he had committed all kinds of crime. He had been committed like by the government. They had said, look, this guy is worthy of death. They understood that. They had grappled with that and they saw it. Now, Pilate thought, You've got this innocent Jesus and then you take up Barabbas. Now, there's a point in which he might have known what was taking place. An insurrectionist is like a revolutionary. It's like someone who would come in. He's going to come in and right now the Jewish people are under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And, and Barabbas is one of those people standing up saying, we've got to fight for our rights. You know, We've got to take this back over. We've got to throw off Rome and all these things. Really, some people were looking for a Messiah. They thought Jesus might come. and Let's make Him King and He's going to lead our troops to go and fight. And that's kind of what's taking place here. There's an element to where Barabbas is this figure 
He's a really nationalistic kind of guy. He's trying to stand up for the Jewish nation. Let's throw off Rome. And that's potentially what's taking place. And so, in that moment, you just you want to see that. Their Messiah that they're looking for, maybe they're looking at these two men saying, Jesus claims to be the Christ. He claims to want to rescue. But this man, he's fought for the people. He stood up for the people and he's standing up for those things. He's standing up for our rights. He's a man of action while Jesus is silently going through as a prophet speaking and healing and all those things. That might have been what's taking place in this moment. But notice as you get to verse 19. Besides while, he, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. So they're sitting there, and, 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 and his wife kind of sends this message up. He stops for a moment. Again, I think maybe even a time for the religious leaders to stir up the crowd a little bit more. But in this moment, he's sitting there. He is faced again with this issue. She has in some way, evidently, possibly woke up early when Pilate got the knock of the door, from, or not, from the, not actually from the door, but as he, he has these religious leaders show up, the Jewish leaders, and she possibly wakes up with him and goes back to sleep and has this dream about this righteous man. She's afraid. She wants her husband to get rid of anything going on with Jesus. You do not want to be a part of this. It's kind of the idea. We're not even told what exactly she has as a dream but she fears it greatly. But again, you kind of see Pilate, again, he's gonna, you're going to see him face and face with, am I going to have this crazy wild thing going on or am I able to silence the crowd? Again, his fear in this moment. But look at verse 20. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let Him be crucified. And He said, why? What evil has He done? But they shouted all the more, let Him be crucified. They're screaming now. It's like the whole crowd is yelling out, crucify Him. Crucify Jesus. Put Him away. We want to destroy Jesus. In this moment, you see this taking place. They're choosing Barabbas, this this criminal with all of this past who's done all kinds of things over Jesus who is the innocent Son of God. They've never been able to convict Him of any crime because He was perfect in every way. And this group keeps growing. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a business meeting of a church or something where they get all, people get wild and everybody's like ready to fight. Uh, and this, it's sad kind of, but I mean, we know of a church that Ann and I do that they had to have, I mean, they, they brought a police escort up there, you know, for this business meeting they were having one time. It was kind of a, a wild thing. Or maybe you've been at the ballpark and somebody, they think somebody's missed a call and everybody, at first it's like, you know, people are a little bit quiet and then they're just raging and screaming and going crazy. We see this going on and Pilate is watching this. It's, it's, it really is strange. Before, the crowds were saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And now they're screaming like in rage crucify Jesus. It's, it's an unbelievable moment. Now, you'll notice in this text as we move forward in verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. 
Then He released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered Him to be crucified. Now, this is interesting. Pilate is sitting there, and he, he's watching this whole deal, and he sees this almost this riot about to be taking place in his city. I mean, you've seen that probably on the news you've been watching. You see riots and people throwing things. It was about to go into chaos. Pilate certainly understood that he had to keep these people under in check or he would lose his position. Ultimately, later, Jerusalem's going to be sacked by Titus because they're going to kind of, there's going to be this kind of fighting. And so this is all kind of going on at this time. Pilate's trying to quiet the people. And notice what he does. He, before him, he washes his hands. He even questions, like, why would you want to do this? Why would you want to kill Jesus? What has He done? But He washes His hands. It's almost like He's trying to clean His conscience of what He's about to do, but ultimately, it does rest in His hands. He has to choose what to do, but the crowds are guiding Him. For popularity, He's holding on to His position. It's almost like a parent that gives in to their child, you know? Like the, the child starts screaming, the parent starts giving them whatever they want, and ultimately they're silencing them so they don't have to deal with the situation. It's kind of way you see what's taking place in this moment. Notice what the people say. I mean, this is real. I mean, it's astonishing to me. Look what they say in this moment. He said, "His blood be on us and on our children." What are they saying? They're saying, "Let the guilt be with us. Put it on us." We want Him crucified. If we're wrong, let it be on us. It's an amazing kind of picture here. Could you imagine they're staring in the face of the Son of God saying, crucify Him, let His blood be on us. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it tells us, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. Notice what takes place. Pilate looks up. He notices the crowd and he decides, I will go ahead and have Him crucified. And then he has Jesus scourged. And I want you to just kind of picture this in your mind just a little bit. The idea would be they usually would tie someone up on a post, Jesus, in this picture. On one side would be one soldier, on the other, another soldier. They would take this wooden like stick kind of thing, paddle type deal, and they would place the leather straps on it. It was not very long, maybe about this long. They would place leather straps on it. Then they would put brass and lead and bone and all these things into the end, and they would use it like a whip. And as they would slap someone, with it, you would you would come down on them and they, it would catch the bone. Not only would the bones possibly be broken with the lead smashing into someone's back, they would have a bare back. Then they would take that bone and, and, and it would catch into the skin and it would rip. One guy said about this, he says, often when this took place, the flesh would be lacerated to such an extent that deep-seated veins and arteries, sometimes even entrails and inner organs were exposed. It was ripping the flesh off of his back. Each side of them slapping away, they would, they would hit him. We don't know exactly how many stripes. I mean, I know that a lot of like, when a Jew would do it, they could do it 39 times. But anyway, it would tear his flesh. And so in this moment, 
Pilate is involving himself by literally abusing Jesus to the point of almost death. Often people would die as a result of this kind of flogging. But what did Jesus, what are we seeing here? He is willingly going to the cross for his people. And you see just in this physical example, the abuse and the beating that he's taken. He's going to be bloody. You could possibly again see some of his organs. It was ripping away his flesh every time they do this and accomplish this before him. And as we see that in this moment, you see Jesus sitting there as the willing, innocent sacrifice for us. I don't know where you are this morning really, but I want you to know that Jesus willingly came. Some of us, I, 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 sometimes I get so sad because I see church people who are so disconnected from Christ and what He's done. It breaks my heart even in my own life, but in this moment, I pray this morning, that you would see that the only way that you could be acceptable is that the innocent Son of God would lay, willingly lay down His life. He was doing it in silence. He was doing it for the love for us. God demonstrated His love. Jesus demonstrated His love by laying down His life for you and me. We are guilty. We deserve to be the ones sitting there with the Roman soldiers tearing our back to pieces, ripping us to death. We deserve to be on the cross. We deserve to die. We deserve to be the one that faces the punishment of God. That's what we deserve. That is what we deserve. God did a wonderful thing in sending His Son. We need to see that this morning. Every time you walk through this life and you think about Christianity, you think about Christ, you need to see what He has given to us, the way He has served us, how He has laid down His life for us. It should compel us. It should cause us to want to live for Him. And I, I just think if you really see this as you watch these people, these religious leaders who in, out of envy, they see Jesus on the throne, you have to ask a question. Is my response to Jesus really saying, rule me, Jesus. Jesus, You gave Your life for me. I deserve to die. Take my life and let me be completely useful for You. I want to live for You. These religious leaders, they want to silence Jesus. And I really wonder sometimes, even people who claim Christ, do you really see what Jesus did? And if so, why do we not want to welcome Him to rule our lives? Why do we live so separated from His Word? Why do we not really want to commune with Him? Why do we not want to gain access to Him? Why do we love more access to the internet or TV and all these things rather than savoring the Son? Why is He not the consuming passion of our life? He laid down His life. We should want Him to rule. He is not a ruler that is crushing us. He is a ruler who was crushed for us. That should drive us to a complete and absolute longing to obey and longing to walk with Him and longing to live for Him. Some of us are so silent about Jesus we so want popularity. We want our place of prominence in this life. We do not want anyone to look down upon us. We do not want to be identified with the Son. We never speak of Christ. We never open our mouths for Jesus. And the reality is there is more of a desire to be popular with mankind 
with people around us than we are consumed with living for Jesus. A lot of us see Pilate in our own hearts. We do not put him first. We would sell out Jesus to be cool with others. It's such a sad picture. And the last thing I would say is there are many people who honestly have the commitment of the crowd for Jesus. One day they're praising Him. One day they're all about the church, all about serving Jesus, and the next day they're living completely opposite. One day they claim, they come, we could sing together and sing all these praises to Jesus, and the next day acting like we don't even know who He is. Wanting again, we would embrace living just completely opposite of Him. In a sense saying, crucify Him. I don't know where you are today, but I know this. We need to see afresh. There's not a day that goes by that we do not need to see Jesus willingly suffering and being a sacrifice for us. Shutting His mouth and going to the cross silently for us. I pray this morning, wherever you are in this whole picture, wherever you might see yourself this morning, that you would see Christ and embrace Him and live for Him with all of your being. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. We thank You that He demonstrated His willingness by His silence as the innocent Son of God who took our sin. God, I just pray that we would look deeply into the responses to Jesus and see that all of those people were holding on to their lives and failing to embrace the Son who gave His life. May You set us free from loving all things that come up in our lives that we might love more than Jesus. We just pray that in His name. Amen.